The Pace Line is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com forward slash Pace Line to support the show and see if you qualify. And the Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. This episode of The Pace Line is about custom, custom clothes and custom carbon. Custom carbon, I can do that? Absolutely. Custom carbon is very possible and it's uh, one of the best materials for custom because of the level to which you can manipulate the, the material. We talked to Ben Farver of Argonaut Cycles, makers of one expensive bike. And Patrick gets with a Paceline supporter, Ryan Cady of LEL, who wants to make you look better on the bike. If you're wearing a jersey that's too big and the, you know, the pockets sag down your butt or they move off to the side, you know, or it's just flapping, you know, uh, like crazy in the wind. I mean, all those are, are things that good cycling clothing is supposed to eliminate. Baseline, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick Hottie and Fatty bringing you the official podcast of RedKitePrayer.com, where we put the plus one in N plus one, or I guess it's closer to a plus two, plus three, I don't know, <laughs> where we put the plus indeterminate number in N plus indeterminate number. Anyway, find us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you want to listen to podcasts. Episode 108 of the Paceline today, guys. Hottie. It's your birthday, isn't it? Who who says? The calendar? <laughs> well, my mother. I, yeah, I uh, I I think my Facebook uh my Facebook uh, calendar told me today's your birthday. God, I thought I blocked that nonsense. I, I'm one of those types <laughs> fatty that does everything he can or she can to avoid like public acknowledgement. Like I I went into work today and just not a peep, you know. There's nothing. Uh, some so, people will drop it. You know, you ever get that annoying coworker goes, "Oh, it's my birthday today." They want everyone to know. I just, I love. To me, the challenge is: can I get in and out of here with without a soul knowing? And I did. Uh, up until now, yeah. At <laughs> which point, uh, the entirety of our podcast listenership—that's right. This is a different family. This is family. The Paceline family. Mm-hmm. I'm happy yeah. to to blow out some candles with. Awesome, and I understand that Patrick is going to sing for you right now. Oh, good. Go ahead, Patrick. Take I've it been away. looking forward to this. Oh, guys, it seems like my mic isn't working. <laughs> oh, wait, that didn't work out so well. Uh, I I will tell you the way our family does the happy birthday song. It's actually pretty fantastic. Um, it, as a group of very poor singers, we celebrate and embrace the awfulness of our singing, and everyone just sings it as bad and as loud as they can. Um it really is something to to behold. And I think the, uh, the problem with that song is I think if we sang it on this podcast, we could be like fined or charged for it. And somebody has the, the rights to that yep. thing. Well, somebody's claiming that they do. But there are a lot of court cases right now, or at least a couple of court cases over it right now. So let's, All right, just skip, well, let's skip the whole singing and get on to the pace lining. Our legal budget yeah. is not that big anyways. Patrick, <laughs> yes. I, I have an email-related question for you. Uh, 
because oh, I, I sent you I sent you and Hottie an email asking about a particular race recently and the suggestion that we the three of us should do it. What is the maximum amount of single track you have ever ridden in one day? I think it's about 35 miles. Uh, mm-hmm. Bike Monkey Sonomos. No, wait, that's not right. Wente. Uh, when I did the Wente eight-hour race, I think I got 56 miles mm-hmm. that day. So, so that's, but that's several laps of the same single track, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that it's it's many laps of the same course. How about, yeah. Hottie, how about you? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. It's like huh? 15 or 20 or something like that. But same course, looping around and around. Boring. All right, so... <laughs> I'm going to have to I, – I, I, the reason I am asking this question is because I'm trying to persuade my co-hosts to join me at the Park City Point to Point, which is, I believe, 76 miles of single track in one day. Uh, who are you meaning when you say words like co-hosts? Hmm. <laughs> oh, you know exactly who I mean. I think it would be awesome if the three of us brought home stories from that day of writing. It is a pretty amazing day of writing. I'm I mean, not signed up myself it. yet, but it's uh, it's something that I think the three of us need to seriously consider. But enough of that for right now until I can uh, do some more offline persuading or we can get some of our listeners to do some offline persuading. My name's Fatty, and based on a recent episode of The Pace Line, I bought a pair of Velocio shorts for my wife for her birthday. Oh. So this... Evidently, pod, this podcast uh, a couple episodes ago was very influential to at least one person. How about that? That's great. That was a paceline pick of mine, the Velocio shorts. Yes. So yep. now I'm curious. Okay. You were influenced enough to buy them. Mm-hmm. She's the one who's wearing it. What does she think? Um, well, <laughs> to be honest, um, you know, I made a guess as to the size. And we are returning them to get a different size. So we're not we're not there yet. Uh, okay, and, and and that might be sort of a good meta commentary. My wife is five foot seven and one hundred and twenty four pounds. Right, she is extremely athletic mm-hmm. build. I guess to size medium would be perfect for her, but they came in long and too narrow. So five foot seven, one hundred twenty four pound woman does not fit in a medium pair of Velocio hmm. bibs. Okay. She's going to have to get a pair of large, which to me seems a little bit cockeyed. She is not a large woman. No. She is medium height and extremely athletically built. Oh. So, so I would have guessed It's a pretty Euro fit then. I guess so. I guess so. Um, okay. Very long shorts too. They, they came down to her knees, which is kind of peculiar so anyway um i'm not we're not uh throwing the idea away love the idea of that but got to do an exchange before we know for sure whether it's something that's going to work for her or not so enough of the preamble let's get to hottie's uh description of a very interesting ride that you most recently took, or I guess a very interesting bike that you most recently rode. And a very expensive one. Guys, a couple weekends ago, I rode the most expensive bike I have ever mounted. It cost $15,300. The bike is an Argonaut. It is custom carbon with carbon wheels, with carbon cockpit, and, of course, DI2 disc. 
The Argonaut, uh, the Argonaut that is knocked off the previous most expensive bike I'd ever ridden, the BMC four-stroke with XDR Di2 and electronically controlled suspension. That bike was luscious, but the Argonaut outdid it, at least price-wise. Uh, by the way, that BMC it goes for about twelve thousand. So the Argonaut beat it by about three grand. Argonaut is Ben Farver, who started in custom steel but moved to custom carbon in hopes of pushing the performance envelope. Argonaut does all its framework in-house in Bend, Oregon. When it comes to carbon or any frame material, very few companies can make that claim completely in-house. After riding an Argonaut, I talked to Ben Farver about what it takes to build a $15,000 bike. And as you listen, I want you to think about this question. How much is too much? And what would you pay for the ultimate ride? But first, here's Ben Farver of Argonaut on custom carbon. Custom carbon. Ben Farver, a lot of guys would say, and a lot of ladies would say, custom carbon, I can do that? Absolutely. Custom carbon is very possible, and it's uh, one of the best materials for custom because it's so, uh, the level to which you can manipulate the, the material. Uh, think of, of carbon fiber not so much as, as the black stuff that you see and think of, but more as a composite, what it truly is. So that means it's a combination of individual strands of carbon uh, and a resin system as well, in addition to other materials, perhaps fiberglass or in our case, Kevlar, inside the frame um, to give you the complete package. So when you talk about uh, how to customize a bike frame, carbon is actually the best suited material for that because you have such a high degree over, of control over every aspect of it. I guess it's, we've all just become accustomed to not being able to like, custom carbon. I mean, we figure that all these frames come out of Taiwan, and you get what you get. Right. But you're here, here saying, no, Argonaut can do something more than what comes out of a cardboard box overseas. Yeah, we, we stro when we started out, we really wanted to um, take the best technologies available, the best composite technologies available, and apply that to the custom market. So um, traditionally, custom carbon frames have been a tube-to-tube style uh, lugged construction or wrapped style construction. Um, that, that makes a, a fine, you can make a really nice bike in that way. However, I think that uh, it's, a, it's a more advanced, it's a better way to take advantage of the material when you're molding complete frame pieces. So you're actually controlling fiber geometry throughout the frame as well as inside the frame intersections. Um, so what we did is we engineered, uh, we figured out how to make uh, one set of, of frame molds, actually clamshell style monocoque um, frame molds uh, that's essentially adjustable. So we can pull a full range of sizes including custom sizes from our frame tooling um, but I feel like more important than the geometry being custom to the, custom to the customer, sorry, uh, is the layout pattern and how the carbon is engineered inside the frame on a per customer basis. Which probably gets me to my next question. You say every Argonaut is unique to the individual owner. Every Argonaut rides like an Argonaut. Well, define that, that second part there. What does rides like an Argonaut mean? So every, you know, every frame builder, uh, every, you know, bicycle engineer will have a bias uh, towards how they think a, a nice bike should ride, how a nice bike should handle. Um, and my bias is really heavily rooted in metal, in steel bikes. That's what I grew up riding. That's what I started out building. Um, and that's what was my favorite material until I, until I started making Argonaut um, because it's got a, a very nuanced and dynamic 
road feel, ride feel. It, it responds when you press on the gas, when you stomp on it, the bike you know, moves underneath you, I feel like, and gives you positive feedback. And I wanted to carry that over uh, into my carbon bikes and then some. When I say it rides like an Argonaut, think of it as a, as a recipe. So it's our base recipe for, you know, call it whatever, call it, you know, pancakes. Mm -hmm. So that we were starting with that, uh, which is our signature sort of recipe, and then we customize it based on the individual rider, turning up and down the volume in different areas. Uh, the barrier to entry for Argonaut, and for a lot of custom builders for that matter, is um, the price tag. And I went on your website this morning, and there's no doubt that you're going to pay a good amount of money to get yourself onto an Argonaut, as you will with a lot of custom bikes. I mean, I'm sure Parley and even Landshark, who are also doing custom carbon bikes, are no different. They're gonna, you know, you, there's a premium to pay here. So, your one of your other jobs has to be to get people out on these bikes. You are now doing a little tour de Argonaut, I guess I'll call it, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're bringing bikes out to people to get them on and get them riding and get them feeling the difference. Is that what's going on? Uh, exactly. So we we sell primarily direct to, to customers. Um, and the purpose of these test flights, as we call them, is really just to get to know our customers on a, on a personal basis and get to show them about the bikes, tell them about them personally, um, explain what's so unique and special about them, and then give them an actual feel for how the bike rides because we feel that it is distinctive and different from most stuff out there. So today I rode, again, I rode an Argonaut today. Um, it was about an hour test ride. Got an understanding what the bike was about. What would happen now if I was a potential, what would happen next if I were to move forward with Argonaut and wanted to order a frame? Uh, so the first step is to design your geometry and we can accomplish that in a number of ways. We do do our own fittings or if you've worked with a fitter in the past, then we'll use uh, those specs to, to design your cockpit and then we'll design the geometry as it applies to handling uh, based on your uh, questionnaire feedback and conversations and interviews that we'll do. Um, we do a full 3D CAD model of your actual frame and then we get into the um, actual design of the layout pattern. So based on your size, your power output, and your riding style, we'll design the individual frame parts um, from a carbon layup standpoint based on your needs. And then we do custom paint as well, so we do all in-house paint. Do you find yourself having to explain price when it comes to bikes of this nature is that the biggest question you get about these bikes or or what or do you find that once people arrive at your front door they're over that that's for the most part true uh by the time you know we have the conversation people have sort of done a lot of homework and and um have a pretty good knowledge of sort of the higher end part of the market that we're in um, I do, you know, when customers ask sort of, you know, why is this bike so much more expensive than, you know, for instance, a, a similar seeming st stuff coming out of Asia, um, the answer to that is really just labor, um, labor rates. I mean, these are, these are handmade start to finish. Um, they're hand laid up uh, each frame part. So there's a good 60 hours of labor in each frame. And, you know, it's pay people living wages and health insurance and the whole thing. And it just cost more to make. My final question, I guess, would be the name. I, I forgot to even look this up beforehand, Argonite. Is there a story behind the name? Yeah, there's, uh, so I actually have a, a degree in history, not engineering, interestingly <laughs> enough. Uh, and one of the things I studied uh, that always stuck with me was the story of Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, so uh, 
Jason was on search of the Golden Fleece, uh, and he sailed on the ship the Argos, and then the sailors were therefore called the Argonauts. So loosely defined, an Argonaut is somebody um, seeking fortune. So for us, it kind of works like we're, we're in search of the perfect ride, the right. ideal ride. So constantly searching after that. Is it out there? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> the perfection is a, is a journey, not a destination. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're constantly tweaking things, constantly improving things, trying to make it as good as possible. But, you know, that's, that's part of the fun is, is solving that problem. Well, enjoy the ride today, and uh, thanks for being on the Pace Line. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Again, that was Ben Farver of Argonaut Cycles. I should note that Argonaut just makes one model, guys. It's a, it's a road bike, but Ben can make pretty radical changes to that bike. If you said for him, like, I want to take this road bike off-road a lot more or, you know, a fair amount he can make changes to the bike because he does everything in-house so it'll accommodate that so 15 grand sounds like a lot and you got to remember though that's a complete bike you get everything 15 grand gets you a bike that you can unpack stick the seat in put the handlebar straight and ride away with so that's that's what we're talking about when we talk about 15 grand here okay guys priciest ride for both of you what's the priciest thing you've mounted and at what point, Fatty, does sticker shock set in? <laughs> you know, at fifteen grand, perhaps it should set in, but I'm looking at uh, personal returning on investment, and I would say consider things, other things that you buy, and how much this costs in comparison. The Argonaut fully loaded still costs less than a Kia, right? Yeah. The car, and if you have an Argonaut, you every time you go into your garage, every time you go out on a ride, you're going to be so happy. Is that same thing true with the cheapest new car in the world? But people get new cars way more expensive all the time and don't bat an eye. I say spend the money on the things you love. And where there's no possible way that most of us could afford the best car in the world you can get the best bike in the world for you. You can get an exotic and it's expensive and it's going to you're going to feel kind of extended. But I say, you know, if you can afford it and that's what you want and that's what brings you joy, go for it. I have no upper limit. Um my first my most expensive bike, uh I just got it. My specialized Epic S Works dressed to the nines with a NV525 set of wheels and a cockpit as well, NV, NV cockpit, and Shimano XT uh, DI2. Uh, for sure, the most expensive bike I have ever gotten, although by just a hair. Mm. Uh, the uh, the Tarmac, uh, the S-Works Tarmac that I had with uh, uh, also with NV wheels and a uh, Durace uh, component set was pretty close to the same price. Mm-hmm. Well, I know Patrick must have an appreciation for a lot of what Ben was talking about because he's actually laid up carbon, so he knows about the the amount of labor it takes to do this work. And and Patrick, obviously, you have insight in, in a lot of what he talks about, about doing CAD work and all this in-house work. It just takes a lot to get done when you're a small shop in Ben. But tell me something. Have you yep. ever purchased a bike that required a down payment or a payment schedule? Anything of anything up in this stratosphere? <laughs> Duh. Um. Well, I mean, so 
you know, I work in the bike industry, so my income is not quite in line with probably that of a lot of our listeners. So the only way I get to buy stuff like a, my Chris Bishop uh, or my frame from Mark Danucci, um, you know, if it wasn't for PayPal and builders being chill about you paying them gradually, I mean, I'm grateful for that lag time between when you place the order and when you get the bike because it gives me a chance to come up with the money. Um, and let me say, you know, relative to my knowledge of most custom builders out there and the amount of time that they put into their bikes, 60 hours is a lot of time. It's more than double what most other builders are doing. So for them to put together a complete bike with top shelf parts for 15 grand, I know it's a big number, but it's not a stupid number. It's, it's, you know, pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, my ride, great ride. Uh, ben is is uh, absolutely uh, selling what he advertises. He wants the that that road feel you get from steel, but the performance aspect of carbon. Um, now, I only did an hour ride. I can't tell you everything about the bike, but I did ha- I did get on a bike that did give me nice road feedback for a carbon bike, especially for a carbon bike. Now, that said, was it set up for the handling way, the way I wanted? No, it wasn't. This was a bike he brought out for kind of, you know, several people to ride. And he and I talked about that afterwards. We talked about what I like to do. And he said, yeah, I would do. I would shorten your change days a little bit and probably relax the head tube angle a little bit, maybe lengthen it up top some for you, and then do some stuff with the carbon layup to make it my bike. And that's the key here. 15 grand gets you a bike that's made for you. My real problem, of course, is my tight grip on my wallet (laughs) because, uh, I did not flinch when I heard what Ben was talking about regarding price. And I can see where some other riders would not either. That that price would not be above them. You're getting something here personalized and unique. I mean, in this town, someone could spend tens of thousands of, of dollars on an exotic sports car, turn the corner, and see one just like it. Chances are you are not going to see another Argonaut on your group ride. Is there value in that? I think so. I love the fact that I show up in my Chris Chance and no one else has one. That said, I had no say in how my Chris Cross would ride or fit. And that is exactly what Ben is offering here. You need a suit, right? You want that perfect fit. You ain't at Sears. You're with <laughs> Salvatore, the tailor, and his tape measure, you know? So, 15 grand? Why not? If that's within your budget, I say go for it. Yep. Take out a loan. Do what you got to do. <laughs> the second mortgage on the house. Uh, the fact is, I mean, apart from you know sleeping and working, biking is kind of what uh, where my passion is. Uh, I, I guess you know, with you look at my garage, I have way nicer bikes than I have anything else. I spend, you know, my my, my truck is eleven years old. It's how I get around. Very happy with it. Um, all of my bikes much nicer than my car. So there you go. Um, and speaking of, I am actually going to talk a little bit more about this brand new bike I got. I am I'm so over the moon with my, uh, with my new mountain bike. And I want to talk about the new, you know, the underscore new part of this new bike because it is new in a lot of ways. You know, I am normally a hardtail guy. This time, I went with full suspension. Normally, I have a lockout on my forks because I'm a standing climber and I, you know, I like to have the rigid fork for while I'm climbing. The fork on this bike doesn't have that option. It uses the specialized brain. Normally, I ride with time attack pedals. 
This time went with SPD. Normally, I have a I use a Cell Italia SLR saddle. This time, I'm going with the Shimano Pro Griffin saddle. Normally, <laughs> I, I use the just off-brand, but you know, fairly pragmatic, the squishy, spongy type grips. I don't even know what brand those are. This time, I'm riding with specialized body geometry paddle style grips. I've changed pretty much everything about how I have ridden for close to a decade with this bike. And I am loving it. Every single ride. I am like, I was looking to kind of maybe make an excuse and bail out on today's podcast so I could go ride. (laughs) My road bike is gathering dust. My single speed, gathering dust. My, uh, My geared hardtail is actually currently unrideable because I stole the handlebar from it to build the Epic. But it would be gathering dust anyway. So my big aha moment for you guys is this. We tend to iterate and be safe with our changes. We like to change one thing at a time so that we can tell what the effect is. You know, we move our seat posts fractions of millimeters. That's fine. Control over variables, awesome. But I am finding that by upending everything, by changing everything all at once about how I'm riding, his turned riding into, you know, mountain biking has become brand spanking new for me. I am having so much fun. And part of it is the equipment, right? But part of it is that it is just a completely new experience, practically. You know, all my contact points, different. All, you know, suspension, different. Everything. Hottie, Patrick, both of you, when's the last time you've done that? Um, I'm going to hand the baton first over to Patrick. Oh, well, I mean, every time I review a bike, there's something that's off. There's something that's not like what, you know, a personal bike of mine is. And, you know, I know that there are a lot of people out there who believe that every bike should have exactly the same fit. Uh, I don't support that idea. What my fit is on a proper road bike is not the same as my fit on a gravel bike. I sit up a little bit more upright. I've got a little less reach. Um, And that's partly so that I can sit upright, more upright, and still have enough weight on the front wheel. So I believe that fit should follow what the use is. So, I, you know, uh, having, having a fit that's a centimeter off here or a centimeter off there, uh, it doesn't even bother me. Um, I need my, my relationship to the pedal spindle, saddle height and, you know, fore aft. I need that to hold constant uh, as I move around bikes as much as possible. But... Um, I, yeah, I like the novelty of getting on a bike where suddenly everything is different and certainly, yeah, if you've been riding nothing but hardtails, both road and mountain, and you get on a full suspension bike, it's a whole new sport. Thank you. I, I swear this, um, you know, single track that I've been riding for, you know, basically a decade, you know, the stuff that's close to home and isn't covered in mud and snow right now. I'm taking different lines, and it is like I'm riding new trail. It is so fun. Hottie, I know that you you are a fiddler. I mean, you, you experiment, you build your own. When's the last time you went to a clean slate and built a bike that is unlike anything you've ever ridden? Well, the last time I was in that position was I, when I picked up my Turner Czar, but I, I just couldn't go. I, I ended up changing out parts. It came with... Mm-hmm. 
It came with uh, bars that I didn't prefer. I switched those out for a set of NV Carbon bars. Um, the saddle was a WTB that I still have. Actually, I ride it on another bike, but I moved it off the mountain bike and put my familiar Physique Tundra on that bike. The brakes came with uh, XTR trails, but I am I love Hope. I love Hope Technology brakes. And I even sold the brakes and put familiar brakes on the bike. So... Uh, I, Fatty, I'm sorry to say, but I'm the, I'm the type of guy that does, I try to change one thing at a time, really examine that change and go, okay, that seems like I can live with that. And then move to the next thing. Even with like tires, like I, I won't try a new set of tires and wheels. It'll either be tires or wheels. It's one or the yeah. other. So I can really get an idea whether it's, it's the right move or not. Well, normally I am too. And, and to be fair and honest, Tires are one thing that I did not change. I went with the same kind of tires and I was a little bit nervous and had a set of, you know, a, a different set of pedals, my old times that were ready to go. And I had a saddle of the type that I've been using for close to, what, 15 years now. Uh, how long has the SLR been available? Um, you know, about that, about that long. I, and frankly, I'm astonished that everything is working so well. I would expect to be sore yeah. or find that things aren't working and have to like start reverting back. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just a lot less fussy than I used to be or than I thought I was because I'm just having a ball. You know, it's everything's different. Everything's new. And it is like, you know, Christmas every day I ride. I am just so happy. Mm -hmm. So. Um, yeah, you can tell <laughs> it's fun to have a new bike. I think I'm going to go ahead and make that a uh, final word for this part of the segment. And when we come back, Patrick's got an interview with LEL Cycling and then Paceline Picks. Argonaut carbon fiber bicycle frame is a, is a totally custom, more race oriented road style road bike that's designed to cater to, to every aspect of a rider's needs. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for cyclists. They do this by qualifying endurance athletes through quizzes that demonstrate their knowledge of and adherence to a healthy lifestyle. Health IQ follows applicants all the way through the process from when they submit interests to starting applications, from going through underwriting to policy in force. The policy is underwritten by one of our top partners, an insurer. Health IQ's underwriting advantages include family history, reducing your chance of being penalized for adverse family health history if you are otherwise healthy. Low resting heart rate. Most carriers will penalize people if their heart rate is too low. We help them recognize that this is a sign of your excellent health and fitness. The Health IQ Advantage is their unique mortality model on the health conscious, and they have lower rates for health conscious people, just like a good driver gets savings on auto insurance. And they have unique underwriting calculations that replace BMI with waist-to-hip ratio and more. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com forward slash paceline. And the Paceline is back. Hottie and I have taken our polls in this little group ride. And now it's Patrick's turn. Patrick, you recently had a conversation with some of the guys from Eliel Cycling. Yeah. So Ryan Katie is founder, owner, CEO, you know, general buck stopper type person. Um, they've been a sponsor of ours, as you are aware, since almost the very beginning of the Paceline podcast. Um, 
other than wearing some of their gear, I don't know actually a whole lot about the company. That is, you know, where it came from or why it is that I like their fit so much. Um, but I definitely like their fit better than many other manufacturers out there. So I figured, all right, it's high time I got Ryan Katie on the phone to discuss. Well, hey, Ryan, thanks for joining us on the Pace Line. How is it down there in San Diego? Uh, it's a little bit overcast currently, but, you know, uh, still in our normal 60s, 70s right now. So still, still nice for sure. <laughs> Very cool. So... Let's talk a bit about your background in clothing and specifically cycling clothing. You know, I remember speaking with you on the Campy Toy Ride once and you talked about how, you know, the big motivation for you was just a dissatisfaction with what you were wearing. But there's a big difference between being dissatisfied with your current team kit and, oh, hey, let's start a clothing company. So what <laughs> led to that? Well, I was actually, um, I was been in the, the cycling industry for a long time and, and, and run, you know, first uh, as, a, as a retailer and, and uh, uh, was, at, was uh, owned a bike shop with a couple of buddies for five, six years down here um, and then raced full time for a few years and then um, fell into Sock Guy and uh, became the owner of that after a year and uh, along with another partner. And uh, so did that for 10 years. And so from a business standpoint, you know, it's the same customers. It's a lot of the same operations. Um, obviously, clothing, there's a lot more details than, than socks, but always wanted to, you know, always thought that that would be a great, you know, opportunity after, you know, learning that side of the business side of that of the business. Um, the clothing thing has always just been a passion of mine. And like you said, I think, you know, I just kind of got tired of spending money on stuff. I always wanted to, you know, if there was an option to upgrade, I always would typically on my team clothing because I was spending so much time in it. And, you know, chamois would wear out and material would degrade and riding became uncomfortable. But a lot of times the options just, even if there were options to do upgrades, they just weren't really that good. It didn't improve it to the point that I was happy with. So that's really where the, the drive to, you know, find better gear was. And then, you know, when I, um, I uh, ended up uh, leaving Sockeye and selling to my partner and, um, you know, wanted a new opportunity. And so that's really how I got focused on this. Uh, so what year did you start, Eliel? We started in, uh, in January of 2014. Oh, wow. That's even more recent than we got our machine. Yeah, we got our machinery in uh, probably about March that year, I believe. And, um, and uh, my original uh, partner, Derek, uh, and I, uh, you know, started uh, hammering away about that time. Based on what I saw when I visited you guys, I believe it was last summer, you've grown a lot. How many people do you employ at this point? We've got almost 50 employees now across the across the business because um, we do all the produ all the production here. So we have a whole you know we have art staff not only from the concept and design side but but also in production artists. You know obviously all of the printing, heat transferring, and sublimation. You have to heat transfer the 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 print uh, onto the fabric. Um, we have laser cutting machines, and then all the whole sewing staff. Every everything is is done here. Wow. So, and then of course, all, all of our sales and marketing and operations staff as well. Yeah. Now, compared to a bunch of custom clothing manufacturers I know who have either gone to China or Italy or Romania, you've chosen to do everything here in the U.S. What drove that decision? Well, I definitely did the, did the research and I went to factories in, in Asia and I went to factories in Eastern Europe even. There was two main drivers, I think. One was 
I really wanted to be able to control what we were doing. And I didn't feel like that was going to be very easy to do from, from here. Um, either that, or I was going to be living overseas. <laughs> and, uh, that was the second part of it is that I didn't really want to be, you know, traveling that extensively and uh, away from my family. I've got, I've got two, two girls, uh, um, 11 and almost 13. And, uh, I didn't want to be, be away from them, you know, that amount of time. But I, I, you know, after doing the research, I really felt like we could do it here if we focused on technology and efficiency and quality. Um, and I think that's exactly, you know, what we've done. And I think that, you know, the growth is a, is a testament to, uh, to all of that. Well, I've certainly, you know, I've worn a few of your kits now and I've noticed that the sizing is really consistent from year to year. And, you know, the quality has certainly been there as well. Uh, so the things that I typically well, see from uh, some of the other can- custom manufacturers when they run into trouble, and certainly not everyone does, but the the problems that I've seen that have plagued some other manufacturers certainly haven't been a problem for me with you guys, which is yeah one well, of the reasons I'm a fan. Learned of- yeah, well, thank you very much. Sorry. Um, you know, one of the things I've learned over the years is that when you contract things out, you know, you, you know, there's oftentimes, I mean, you, you know, the, we have it here too. You know, you run out of a material, but if you run out of a material here, we know it and we do the right thing, which is, you know, you air in or, or you, you figure out how to, you know, how to get it done right. And you don't cut corners and use a different material. When you're, when you're outsourcing to somebody else, you don't have control of that. Um, and so that, that contributes. If you, if you change a material um, on, a, on a same pattern, you will get a different fit if it's mm-hmm. not the exact same material. And even consistency, you know, can vary from the manufacturer in different lots as well. But I mean, you change from, you know, one company to the next and you can have a major fit difference. And I, and I feel like, and I countered that from my experiences too. Same companies and our team would order, you know, years ago, you know, from that same company and one year it would be great and the next year it would be completely different and you, you thought you ordered the same thing. And that's one of the biggest yeah. frustrations and that we still hear about in the industry. Yeah, certainly. Now, your kits have a very well, shall we say pro fit, you know, the, the jerseys are, are distinctly form following, you know, bibs are kind of bibs, but, uh, the Jersey is a, uh, a fairly defined fit a, what led to that and B, are you doing any things that, you know, I'm not aware of that have a different sort of fit? Yes. On, on all accounts. Yeah, you're right. I mean, bibs typically, um, they tend not to change as much as the Jersey and fit preference on Jersey, but yeah, you absolutely. So the, the original jersey fit came from really what I wanted to wear. That was the driver. You know, again, I didn't feel the fits were, you know, that I was getting was, was what I wanted. I didn't feel like the jerseys really worked that well in the riding position. A lot of them were flappy. They were short, long, whatever it was. And mm-hmm. so I basically made the first, first jersey to, to fit exactly what I wanted. Um, and that obviously resonated with a lot of the you know, clubs and teams and, and racers that were our, you know, my contacts and friends and first clients for sure. We are actually coming out with a new fit um, that we'll be launching in May that will be called the Malibu. The Malibu jersey is the name of that product. And that will be a more athletic fit. So it still will be, you know, somewhat um, – I'm not a big believer in the club fit jerseys and never have been. I understand why certain people want them, but I think it degrades the performance of what you're trying to get out of a jersey. Yep. If you're wearing a jersey that's too big and, the you know, the pockets sag down your butt or they move off to the side – you know, or it's just flapping, you know, uh, like crazy in the wind. I mean, all those are, are things that good cycling clothing is supposed to eliminate. So we've created a fit, I think, that is more forgiving, but also still performs. But it's definitely a balance. I'm not sure that, you know, Elliot will ever go the way of, of maybe a true club fit. 
that's more like a t-shirt fit. I, that's not my vision of what cycling clothing needs to be. And I think if you do it right, regardless of body type, you should be able to have a good fitting, you know, garment. I mean, it's like a tailored suit. People of all shapes and sizes wear, wear suits, you know, or dresses, but if they're tailored right, um, they look great on everybody. You know, they can yeah. look great on everybody. Yeah, no, I, I so. completely agree. And that's one of the things that I really love about your jersey is when I am uh, the leaner me that I prefer to be, um, uh, one of the problems that I run as, into... As we all do, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so often by the time I'm the shape that I want to be, when I find a jersey that that fits through my shoulders and my torso the way I want it to, then it's too short. And so your jersey is one of very, very few that is long enough and yet still has uh, a good form following fit, which is why I've become such a fan. Oh, great. Well, it's interesting because actually, you know, I find a lot of jerseys that I look at and compare to some of them are too, I'd say more often they're, they're too long in the front where when you're in the riding position, you get that, you know, your zipper has that ripple to it. um, And you've got a lot of extra, extra material that hangs down there. So, there's a, there's a, there's an art in the balance of the, of the length of the zipper and the front length and also the back length. And that's super important because I find a lot of jerseys have very high back pockets. And that's one of the things that we are very particular about is getting our pockets to the right height. So it's easy to get in them, uh, not sagging, you know, down over your butt, but also low enough so that, uh, you can, you can access them easily while riding. Um, yes. that's <laughs> definitely a balance there. <laughs> there's no point in having a gel if you can't reach it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All righty. Ryan, thank you so much for the time. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, Patrick. I appreciate you having me. Again, that was uh, Ryan Katie, uh, CEO of LEL Cycling. Um, so, guys, uh, let's start with you, Fatty. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what do you look for in custom clothing? Uh, fit, of course. Uh, and, you know, I hear him talking about not really ever going to a club fit. And I'm thinking, you know, if you were to look at you and me and Hottie, I'm curious, what is the actual right fit? Um, you know, I, who could who could ever say? But certainly uh, Hottie and I, who often weigh the same, and there's like, what, about a two and a half foot difference between our height, Hottie? Three. <laughs> it's, it's, um, the, you know, there's, there's, it's going to be tough to get every cyclist in there. That said, you know, even at my thinnest, I am still pretty broad. And it's tough for me to get into the stuff uh, that is made to be form-fitting for a real pro fit. So, you know, it, it, it's, you know, fit matters and fit is different for different riders. Um you know that said, uh, make or in this uh, the uh, you know does a zipper stand up to a lot of use? I, I I'm the kind of guy who wears a, a, a who will wear a jersey for years and years, and I like it to hold up. And mm-hmm. I've had I've had jerseys where you know after a couple of years the zipper stops working, and that sucks. <laughs> sure, sure. Hottie, you, I know you've worn a bunch of different brands at this point with all the different teams you've been yeah. on. Who does it right, in your opinion? Well, I somebody who I've not worn their custom stuff in, but who does custom, Giordana. Uh, a great company, heritage company. I've uh, reviewed several of their pieces for RKP. Um, if it's not my yeah. money, Giordana. They're going on my back. They, you know, Again, Italian, going to be a little pricier. Pactimo actually does a really good job 
and keeps the price reasonable. Good color schemes, very fast turnaround. Uh, so good quality. I think great price for for Pac Timo. As far as stuff that you know you can buy that's not that's not custom. Well, I'm currently becoming. Uh, you know, a lover of Rafa and I think Osos has, has never failed me. Um, again, I like firm fit lowers, Patrick. Uh, you and I have been through any number of different custom brands out there on, on various teams and watched our teammates with saggy shorts or all kinds of looks going on. I like a bit, you know, I like a firmer fit in the bottom, which a lot of people don't really go for. And that's probably why I like the Giordana because they have a lot of compression uh, in their yep. lowers. Uh, again, like Patty said, tops are so tough because we're all just so different uh, with our shapes and our shoulders and how you know things can fit. I- I'd like to do a call out to the long sleeve jersey. I, I love long sleeve jerseys. I-, I wear them a lot because basically, uh, ar- you know, I got long gangly arms and keeping finding arm warmers at the right length and keeping them up can be problematic. I love the long sleeve jersey, but I find it to be. You know, a, a real disappointment what a lot of custom companies will come out with. Inevitably, what you get is a, some type of club jersey that's been that's had a fleece stitched into it, and they call it a day. Um, I say, hey, let's put some effort in the long sleeve jersey. I like wearing them. Uh, don't put the liner in. Uh, forget the liner. I'll choose. I can put a base, thicker base layer on, no base layer, a short sleeve base layer. You can figure it out if they just forego all that fleece and just let it ride with a nice, uh, my Velocio piece right now that I'm riding. There's no liner in it. It's a great piece. I can do what I want with it. I've had long sleeve base underneath it. I've had no base under it. Works great. So I, I call out a shout out to that long sleeve jersey. Interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, you know, Eldon, before the interview, you were asking about those uh, squids, uh, squid separate pieces that they have on the site. Yeah. And it turns out it's a, a collaboration that they're doing with Squid Cycles. That's the oh. outfit that's doing the uh, aluminum frames. They come bare. You pick several different rattle cans and you paint it up yourself. So this is a way for them to do something that complements uh, those, those bikes. Yeah. Oh, fun stuff. Yeah, very cool. All right. All righty, guys. Uh, well, I think we're on to Paceline Picks, right? Let's pick up with the picks. I think I will kick off if that's all right. And I, I, I almost feel like I need to apologize. It, my stuff has uh, has been almost this ongoing love letter from me to Shimano this episode, but I'm going to keep it up. <laughs> it's the uh, Shimano S-Fire RC9 and XC9 wide foot shoes, guys. I love these so very much. Uh, if you are a fellow bunion sufferer like me with sort of middle-ish, normal, wide-ish feet, check these out. I am riding without pain, road and mountain, for the first time in between two and three years. I can't say this solution is going to work for everyone. Of course, no shoe solution works for everyone. But if you're like me, if your foot's always been kind of wide, kind of fat like a hobbit, and now you're getting older and your foot's getting wider and maybe you've got a bunion or two, look into these. They're comfortable. They're good looking. They have this lightning fast, easy to adjust bow fastening system. And between road and mountain, I'm getting the same fit. And I have about 10 other pair of cycling shoes that I am not wearing at all anymore. Um, These are my go-to shoes. That's my pick. Very cool. Mm-hmm. No, no Liking shame and no shame in hyping Shimano. That company gets it right 
on a lot of different fronts. So it's fine. They yeah. are like they are like the Honda of <laughs> Shimano or yeah. of of bike gear. Yeah. You know, it's just like there's a reliability and consistency there that I am just like super stoked on lately. Patrick, yeah. Yeah. what do you have? What's your pick? Okay, guys, this one's a little bit self-serving. Uh, as you all know, uh, RKP readers responded in force when I put out a call last October for cycling clothing for Sonoma County cyclists who lost their homes in the fires here. I've given out about 70% of what I received, I estimate. Um, again, an estimate. I'm not really positive because I've given out so much. But at this point, I need to find homes for all of the gear that's left. And it's bin upon bin upon bin. Uh, I don't know, something like a dozen bins full of clothing. Um, so what we've done is scheduled a sale of everything that happens this coming weekend at Trailhouse here in Santa Rosa. Uh, and because I need all of it to sell, you'll pardon me if I'm doing everything I can to promote this like crazy. Uh, the funds that we raise from this will go to helping high school mountain bike teams in the area. These are uh, NICA NorCal League teams. Um, the primary target is going to be uh, the Anadel Composite Team, also known as the A-Team. And a bunch of the kids on that team are from uh, less, less uh, resourceful families, shall we say. Um, and so they could use the help. Uh, three of their bikes burned up in the fires. I've already paid for some repairs to one of the team bikes. Uh, and so the money will help them in a bunch of different ways. Um, sales this Saturday from one to five. Again, that's trail house here in Santa Rosa. I'll have, <clears throat> I'll have the address and other info in the show notes. All right. Good pick, Patrick. Hottie, what do you got for us? Well, my personal pick is a ride I did this past weekend, an event I like so much that I sat down with the organizer and made her explain it. Hello, Pace Liners. Michael <laughs> Hutton here, Hottie here in Calabasas at the Great Peddler's Fork, which is a great place to get a meal and a drink and meet up for a group ride once in a while. And we have uh, actually ended our day here after a terrific gravel ride. And you know much how, uh, how much I love uh, adventure and gravel racing along with Fatty. Um, but this was a rather unique ride. I mean, I know all of the roads basically in the route we went on today, but this was a new twist on just that. So I'm making this my pace line pick this week, this particular ride. And I've brought somebody here with me who actually put on the ride and knows a little bit more about it because we were all just going crazy out there trying to figure our way around this thing. Shannon Howell is with me and she is with PF Goats, women's, and this is women's only mountain biking team, which is very cool, first of all. Uh, but Shannon, tell me about, just give me the particulars of this ride. How did you lay it out and what was your goal with this ride? So the idea of this, this ride was it's really bringing everybody together to have fun on bikes. That was our first goal. Our second goal is we wanted to make it a little different because we didn't want a strict route. We wanted to give people an advantage, so not just the fastest team. So you, if, you were, if you know the lay of the land really well, so you can take single track, you can take fire road, you can take the road and however you want to get there. And so it added this element of strategy, which we thought would be really cool. And that's where the, the scavenger hunt title comes in. Right. Also, at the end of the day, we just wanted to bring more people out to have an event. So you knew pretty much this would be a locals ride. And a lot of people know the area, but it was up to them to figure out 
how to get to three peaks today, right? Right, right. And you, and you keep, and and people who really know the area, there's sneaky little sneaky little routes that you can take. But it's also what bike do you take? So it, you know, you can take a road to, to one section, but then you might want to take a single track and have a mountain bike for another section. Right. So the idea again was, Shannon laid out three spots you had to make with your team, and each team had to check in. But it was up to you to figure out how to get there, what bike to use to get there. Um, and everything else in between. And how do you think the teams did today? It was really interesting. So the only rules were you ever, nobody could leave anybody behind. So you had to have every team member there to check. Um, so it, it encouraged a team effort. Mm -hmm. um, we also did you, a first place prize can only go to a team that had, was co-ed. So it had to be a mix of mix of people. And the teams did really well. It seemed like everybody was having fun. I know there was a lot of people who got lost but I also know that they did not do their homework. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell me what your goal is with this ride. What would you like to see happen in the future with it? You want to grow it? You want yeah, to just say Yeah, I the same? think this was a really big success and I think we want to I think we want to grow it and so picking, I think getting more strategic to making picking the points to where it's even more complex, even more fun, adding mm -hmm. a little little more layers into it. Mm -hmm. All right, folks, that's my pace line pick again. It's the, the great way to find your way around a route. You may think you know. You may think you know your backyard. You may think you know your gravel roads or what have you. But Shannon here has found a new way to help you out, and uh, we look forward to the next one, Shannon. Yeah, hope to see you back. Again, that was uh, Shannon Hall, a PF Goat women's mountain bike team. The, the ride was the Mountain Goat Gravel Hunt. The team with the best local knowledge did return to the start first. Uh, my navigation was pretty close. I put the checkpoints in the right order, but there was one shortcut I missed and one this way or that way decision I got wrong. So while the winning team only needed 35 miles to complete the circuit, we needed close to 40. Shannon also created a side game where you collected cards along the way and tried to develop the best poker hand. If you didn't like the card you were dealt, you could do a shot of tequila or eat an entire chocolate Easter bunny to get a new card. Uh, by the way, I know the mileage doesn't sound like much, but we climbed 6,000 feet over those 40 miles. And I got a glimpse of Kanye West and Kim Kardashian's compound as part of our route. So it was a new way to ride the same trails. The Mountain Goat Gravel Hunt put on by the women's mountain bike team. PF Goats is my pace line pick. What a nice. fantastic idea. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. yeah, it was really cool. It's kind of... a Alley cats, they kind of do the same thing where they, the mm -hmm. guys will line up uh, and they'll pick a point where everyone has to be and it's up to you to find your way there and, and they do it on uh, single speeds or fixies or something like that. But this was three points. There were peaks. There were high climbs too. You had to get your rear up there. Uh, and it was up to you to figure out how to get there in the fastest way. All right. I would love to see something like that close to where I live. I am terrible at navigating and so expect that i would be in the very very back for more than one reason uh fun pick uh fun race thanks so much for giving us that one hottie and patrick what is coming up on rkp uh well we finally finished all of our nabs coverage so i'm back to uh bike reviews and other more normal uh content <laughs> just today my review of the mosaic gt1 gravel bike went up so uh, that'll be a fun thing for folks to check out. All right, check that out. And we'll go ahead and call that a wrap for episode 108. One last reminder, find us on Apple Podcasts. Take a moment to give us a five-star rating. And if you're feeling super duper generous, write a review. More importantly, tell your cycling friends about us. That helps other people find us and listen to us. And that is why we are, in fact, here. 
For Hadi and Patrick, I'm Fatty. Thanks so much for listening to episode 108 of The Pace Line. I'm going to bail and go ride my new bike. Go ride your bike. Sweet. I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.